Hey everyone, welcome back to the Living Easy Podcast. I'm so happy to have all of you here today. I cannot even begin to describe the intensity of the next two episodes. So Lindsay's episodes on postpartum psychosis are going to be split into two parts just so that they're a little bit shorter. So this week is part one and next week, next Monday will be part two. But she talks about her experience as a normal mama, just going about her daily routine, having gone to the doctor already and having him say that she's completely fine to days later being in a mental institution for postpartum psychosis. So she's talking about what led up to that point, how she discovered that she had this and what it looked like, what hallucinations she had, what lies she was believing, and so forth. Lindsay loves Jesus, loves people, and I just adore her. So I'm really thankful for her being vulnerable enough to share her story today. And thank you all for tuning in and listening to the Living Easy podcast. If you haven't yet, please take a quick second to subscribe. This will just notify you when we have a new episode up on Monday. We talk all about faith and relationships and dig deep into really hard, raw stuff just to remind other women that they're never alone in their mess or their chaos and that there really is so much hope. Also, if you wouldn't mind taking a quick second to rate and review the podcast, just scroll down from the main homepage on iTunes or from the episode and give a quick star rating and review. This encourages us to keep on going with this and just to um, move forward. You can hear my son's music (laughs) in the background. But yes, a rating and review helps us to keep on going and helps us to get interviewees um, like Lindsay to share their stories with honesty so that others can remember that they are not alone. Let's jump in to part one of today's episode. Hey friends, we were never promised that life would be easy. Sometimes it is hard and super crazy, but when we do life together, we find that it becomes a lot easier and much more fun. I believe in joyful life, in happy parenting, healthy marriages, long-lasting friendships, and making perfect memories in imperfect homes. I love to dig deep and talk about the really raw things that people are not always comfortable discussing, and I'm also passionate about sharing practical tips that have helped me to help you navigate through life less stressfully and more purposefully. We will laugh together and struggle together. You will hear honest insights on strengthening your faith and your marriage, parenthood, how-tos, and so much more so that you can live life and live it with joy. I am Lindsay Maestas. Welcome to the Living Easy Podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Living Easy Podcast. This is Lindsay Maestas, and I am here with a fellow Lindsay, Lindsay Barnsley. (laughs) Hey, Lindsay, how are you? Hi, I'm good, Linz. So good to see your face. You know, it's so funny because I was thinking about it this morning and I even told my husband, I said, yeah, I'm going to be talking to a Lindsay that's also married to a Jesse. Yes. So we are (laughs) just like. I didn't even click. Yeah. That's so crazy. Okay. Two boys. I know. Uh, How old are your boys now? So Oliver, he is, he's almost seven. So, and then I've got an almost five-year-old. So. Okay. Perfect. So I want to tell our listeners, and I don't know if you know this about like how I know you, but my, I believe my sister and my cousins were around the same age as you in high school. 
And Lindsay and Courtney Oliver, who Lindsay was previously Lindsay Oliver, were the cool girls in school. And so all I ever heard about was how amazing and beautiful and perfect Lindsay and Courtney were. Um, And so they were like the girls everybody wanted to be friends with. And then I was at the Britney Spears concert and you and your sister got pulled up on stage and I was so jealous of you guys. (laughs) <laughs> well, that's hilarious because yes, we had to, we were entered into a contest to be able to get up on stage and then they made me sing one of her songs and I totally like <laughs> forgot the words. It was horrible. It was horrible. I don't and, remember that. I just remember yeah. being like, that is the coolest and they are the coolest. And so those are my first memories of you. And then I know Abby, your sister, who is just yep. a dream. She is such a she sweet is, girl. Yes, she is a sweet girl. We love, love having her as a little sister. That's for sure. She's fun. She keeps us in check. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So we're going to dive into this. Lindsay, and I'm going to let you tell your whole story, Lindsay. So for our listeners, that's kind of my heart with this is just the awareness and I started Sparrows and Lily. I started my podcast um, because of this reason. Like I want my heart is for women to not feel alone in their struggles. And when I first started Sparrows and Lily, I was on my couch just defeated by postpartum anxiety and feeling completely alone. And I remember searching like constantly for posts that talked about what I was feeling and like not liking their baby and not wanting to touch their baby or hold their baby. And I couldn't find it anywhere. And so I figured, well, I'm going to just write it. And I've seen the same thing in you, Lindsay, like with you starting all of your blog and um, wanting to tell your story. And I just admire your bravery because I know it's not an easy story to tell and to share with the entire world. I know I struggle personally with shame. Do you ever feel that or are you just free? Um, I struggled with it for a while. I feel like now I'm at a free place. So, but it's taken a lot to get there. Yeah. 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 (laughs) I think for me, it's the ability to share it and to hear other people being in that just loosens those bonds. Like the, it brings the freedom when we're open with kind of what we've struggled with and what Jesus has helped us to overcome. And so let's begin postpartum psychosis. I did a little digging and I'm going to let you kind of share your knowledge on it. But postpartum psychosis is a rare illness. It is compared to the rates of postpartum depression or anxiety and occurs in one to two out of every 1,000 deliveries or approximately 0.1 to 0.2% of births. And the onset is usually within the first two weeks of postpartum and it includes delusions, hallucinations, feeling irritated, hyperactivity, paranoia, rapid mood swings, etc. Does that sound about right? Absolutely. And that's exactly the numbers that I was going to give you. Um, It is, I think the big word in there is it's rare. And, um, but however, that being said, I feel like those numbers are only the reported cases. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's so many moms out there that don't even know they, they have it with even just my friend circle. There's several moms that have told me that they, you know, had hallucinations. They saw things on their children's faces that weren't actually there. And so whether it be a full blown out 10 level type thing that I went through or a a little bit more of a minor situation, um, 
I think maybe those numbers are a little higher, but that's just my personal opinion. But it's a very hard thing to diagnose because like you'll see when I kind of get into my story, I didn't know anything was wrong with me and nobody did. When you're in the psychosis part of it, you're seeing things and and you might not be telling anybody about it or you might be hearing things you're in this world of you think everything is right. And so that's the scary part of it that um, can sometimes be undiagnosed because... Because you believe um, it to be actually true. Absolutely. Well, and I, when you mention it's not reported, I think that is what I read with postpartum depression and anxiety is the same thing, that they're saying 70 to 80% of women at a minimum will experience baby blues And the reported rate of clinical postpartum depression among new moms is between 10 to 20%. And that one in seven typically experience anxiety. But because it's so complex, especially anxiety, Mm -hmm. moms don't share it. And I didn't even know. I honestly, Lynn, I thought I was just a horrible mom. Like that didn't like her kid and didn't want to hold her baby. And until a friend, I sat at the dinner table probably four months or five months into this and was like, I just want to run in front of a bus. Like, I don't know what's wrong with me. I feel like when I put Sutton in his car seat that I'm going to break his bones and I feel like I can't breathe. And anytime Jesse would tell me that he had to leave for work because he was able to stay home with me for a long time, I would just break down in tears. I couldn't Mm -hmm. sleep. And I was like, I'm just afraid of my kid. I'm a horrible mom. And so I never reported it. I never talked about it. And I'm sure that's so common For so many moms and that's just my heart with this um, interview is to to just remind people like it's okay to talk about these things and I think that we've come to a place where it's much more widely discussed but Mm -hmm. like you're saying with yours I mean I've never heard of this except for your story so let's jump in what is postpartum psychosis what was your experience so and before I start I just wanted to hit on hit on a little something too I feel like There's so much education, prenatal education, right? You have all these doctor visits, these ultrasounds, what to take, you know, you're on prenatal um, vitamins, all this stuff about how to take care of your body and the baby when you're pregnant. And then, you know, of course you're taken care of during the hospital and then you're like, you're left Good luck. to go. It's, you know, <laughs> see you later. Good yeah. luck. And there's not really a lot out there about what can happen. Of course, we've all heard of postpartum depression and anxiety. And really, rarely we hear about psychosis, but there's not a lot of education out there um, going into it, knowing even if it's the mom and dad together taking classes to learn about this stuff. I think that would be super helpful because, Mm -hmm. you know, not always does the mom recognize that she's going through this. Right. So even if the dad has the knowledge of what these things entail, maybe he can see enough to say something's going on. We need to contact her doctor. That's so true. Even just a conversation before you leave, like as something as small as something like that, just having the ability to say, hey, this is something that happens often these are the symptoms these are the signs let us know i think that would bring so much freedom and understanding to women and men but i love that idea i think that's especially informing the husbands i think that would have been at least in our case very helpful yeah 
Absolutely. Yeah. There just needs to be more, more talk about it. And I applaud you for um, shedding light on this too, Lens, because that has become one of my main missions ever since this has happened to me. Um, even if it's, you know, at church sharing my story or, you know, on my Instagram or on my blog, yeah. it's just, it's something so important to talk to because if it does happen, even if it's a friend that knows somebody that's going through it, they can say, oh, I know this person that went through it. Let me give you her number. Yes. That's huge, mm-hmm. you know, and I'll go into that later too, how that helped me. So, yeah. well, I appreciate you so much. And I know your story is when I first read it, I think I had to read it like four times <laughs> to say like, what, what, I know what is going on? Okay. I mean, whatever, however you want to start, you can. Okay. Jump so it, you know, it's interesting. So my postpartum journey really was with my second child, but I've got to, in order to kind of give you a picture of the whole story, I kind of have to back up to my first pregnancy. Um, and so we had just moved from Albuquerque to, um, Scottsdale, Arizona. And, um, we, I had just finished up teaching there. I had packed my classroom and then got here, unpacked everything. And this was in June of 2013. I was due in September of 2013. Mm. Um, we were swimming one day um, at our gym. And, and then after that, left to go to the grocery store and walking around the aisles. It's kind of like one of those stories you hear. I, I felt like I had peed a little bit. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and I was like, well, that's weird. Like, <laughs> I really don't think I did. But and so I went to the restroom and then I couldn't go anymore. So I came back and told my husband, like, that's, you know, it's really weird. And so we went home. He was like, you know, why don't you just call your doctor? See what he thinks. So I did. And he go, my doctor said, you know, it doesn't sound like your water ruptured, but why don't you go into the hospital just to make sure? And, um, so of course I've got, you know, wet hair, no bags packed. Cause this is two months before my due date. And I'm like, this is, you know, I'm surely going to be coming home. Yeah. And so get to the hospital and go to triage. They check. And the, I'll never forget the nurse comes back and she just goes, you're going to be staying here until you deliver this baby. Oh my gosh. And yeah. And I was like, there's no way. Like I can't have a baby right now. You know, I mean, I've still got so much time to go. So of course we get on the phone, call family, let them know. Uh, they pack their bags, get on a plane to come visit. And so I was up on bed rest for, um, starting at 30 weeks and I really couldn't get up, couldn't do anything. I had to sit on a stool in the shower. Um, eventually they finally let me take like a wheelchair ride, which is like the (laughs) highlight of my stay. (laughs) <laughs> so pathetic. Um, That's a but, long time, though, to be stuck yeah. in a hospital, pregnant. Yes, it yeah. was, and not to you know. I mean, you couldn't get up and walk around. It was, you know, you had to keep that baby in because, yeah. and it was like it was a slow leak. So I was, you know, constantly drinking lots of water and pumped full of antibiotics, given steroid shots to help the baby's lungs develop quick quicker. And so then around maybe 31 weeks, the uh, neonatologist, the doctor came in and said, you're going to have a premature baby. And um, 
we want you to come take a tour of the NICU and see how it is down there. And we're just going to have to assess. We're obviously going to be monitoring everything. You know, and my heart just stopped because it's like, here you are as a first time mom and you've got this whole plan for your, your life yeah. <laughs> and, and your babies. And then you think, what's going to be wrong? What's going to happen? Is he going to be okay? And, you know, my mind was thinking, is he going to vibe? How little is he going to be? And so went down to the NICU, toured it. And of course, you know, no parent wants to open those doors Mm -hmm. because in your mind, you're thinking that's where all the sick babies go. And so anyways, so at 32 weeks is when they can do a lung maturity test. So they did that and Oliver's lungs were mature. So instead of risking infection, they wanted to deliver the baby. So they started me on Pitocin. I labored all that night and they would kind of come in, flip me around saying his heart rate was down, but no reason for it. And so I'm thinking like, could this really like get any worse? (laughs) And it's like, this is not how it's supposed to be. Exactly. And I, I think that's what I actually named this um, kind of chapter on my blog is it's not supposed to be this way because it just... It's everything kind of in your mind that goes wrong. Mm -hmm. So anyways, it ended up being that they weren't going to let me deliver him, you know, naturally. And so they basically called my doctor and said, you've got to get here. The baby's heart rate keeps going down. So we're, you know, setting up an emergency C-section. So there we went. There was probably 10 to 12 doctors in the room. And then, you know, they whisked whisked them away right away to the NICU. I barely got to say hi to him. My husband, Jesse, followed him with the doctors. And of course, you know, as mom, you're just left there to be sewn back up and all alone, alone. Yeah, alone. And you have no idea what's going on with your baby. And then you're taking recovery. And so after that, they finally wheeled my bed over to go see him in the NICU. And it was such a shock to me because he had this IV sticking straight out of his head. Oh. And I'm like, why is it there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Could it be in any more of like a crazy pl- Yeah. <laughs> and I guess he was trying to rip it out. And so oh. anyways, we're there for five weeks and it was me trying to, you know, go back and forth, trying to recover from my C-section, but trying to walk down the hall to the NICU to go visit him pumping because he was so small that they had to put a a nose tube, like a feeding tube in his nose. And so, you know, I feel looking back on that, it was like, I just powered through it. I, I didn't realize how much that affected me until after. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of the story with Oliver. So when we got pregnant with Branson, they started, doing progesterone shots. And I believe it was, I think it was at 16 weeks is when I had to write some of these things down to remember, but 16 weeks I did progesterone shots and I'd have to go in every week. And that was basically said to be kind of um, a way just to prevent some of the preterm labor. So I was like, well, yeah, of course I'm going to do anything that you suggest, you know, I do, because I don't want to have another premature baby. 
And so starting at 22 weeks, they do a fetal fibronectin test and that goes until 35 weeks. And that is done every, every week as well to determine if you are going to go into labor within seven to 10 days. And so between all of that and then managing my two-year-old, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, please let's not have this happen. And so I remember the nurse calling me one week, it was about 30 weeks, which is exactly when I was on bed rest with Oliver. And she said, your test came back positive and you're going to have to go on bed rest. And I was like, there's no way. Absolutely. I mean, what, how can we be doing this again? Kept thinking, what is wrong with my body that I cannot keep these babies like they're supposed to be, you know? And so a lot of blame and a lot of shame there. But after that, I don't really understand the whole science behind all this, but the next week I did it, it came back negative. So I was still very cautious, but. Okay. Let's start where you were saying you were still being. Hey, are you there? Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Okay. Um, let's start where you said it might do it again. So I might have to do this again, but I, I, it won't okay. let me join my hotspot, but just start where no you worries. were saying, um, you are still being cautious. Okay. So, um, so basically when I was told the news of that, I had to go on bed rest the next week, um, my test came back negative. So even though it was negative, I was still being cautious, um, with, you know, what I was doing because I did not want to be in that hospital early again. Yeah. So I had a scheduled C-section at 39 weeks that came up. It was like the best day of my life because I'd made it. Yeah. So I got to, you know, (laughs) hair, pool hair. And, um, so I got to take a shower, go in, got, you know, had my C-section at the right time. It was like a dream to me because I have this plump baby. I don't have to go to the NICU. And it was just, you know, it was how it was supposed to be in my mind. And we left the hospital. Um, Everything was great. I almost felt afterwards that like, wow, that was too easy. Mm. And so when we came home, I also felt the same way. Like, this is easy. Wow. It's not that hard of a transition yet from one to two. And I think that's kind of where my big story happens is that I felt so good. Yeah. And that's kind of one of the things that postpartum psychosis starts with. And like a heightened sense of happiness. Yeah. You're almost like on a high, you know, like everything is right in the world you know, I've got my babies and it was great. Yeah. And so then we had, and I'm not going to name names just because just to protect privacy. Yeah. So we had some family coming in town to visit. This was about two months postpartum. And I just started to notice that there was just some odd behavior going on. Um, and I felt like, I needed to watch them around my kids and that they weren't to be trusted. And so, you know, even if one of them took my older son outside to play, I was watching through the window. Yeah. These are people that you've trusted and loved your whole life. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and then, you know, I went into Branson's room and he was in the crib and I just remember seeing 
um, another family member just staring down at him and saying, like kind of moving their finger and saying, oh, you've got great tracking. And I just felt like all this was odd. And then lunchtime canned, Oliver was in his high chair. And I remember I'd NMP and I don't know what else, but all of a sudden his peas were gone. I said, oh my gosh, did he eat all those? You know, and one of them said, yeah, he did. And, and they were hiding something behind their back. And I just remember being so skeptical thinking like, what is, what is that? Mm -hmm. What, what are they going to give him? Jesse got home from work and that day, Oliver, I remember having like a rash, a significant rash when he, when I changed his diaper, crying, screaming. And I'm like, that's weird. You know, that's then that night, Branson, my youngest woke up screaming and crying. Same thing, had a rash. And so in my mind, that just like triggered something to think the worst possible, like something happened to him. They were drugged. They were maybe even like somewhat molested. So my mind was just racing through all these thoughts. And so the next or that night I told Jesse, I said, we've got to, we've got to call them over. Um, they were staying at a hotel and I said, we've got to call them over tomorrow and we have to talk to them. And of course, you know, he's looking at me like he couldn't figure out what I was talking about. Yeah. And so I explained everything, what I saw he was totally on board and I convinced him of everything. And, um, so they come over and I'll never forget that time that we sat in the room and we're just talking to them and asking them, why'd you say this? And why'd you do this? And there were a lot of tears and confusion. It was just, because it was they awful. had, they were thinking we haven't done anything wrong. We're just here with your babies, but you I, yeah. were so convinced that there was molestation going on and that they were maybe harming your baby. And Jesse trusts mama's intuition and right. was like, okay, let's do this. So then yeah. your family is feeling like accused probably. Oh yeah, absolutely. And they, we told them to leave. <laughs> um, and then I said, Jesse, I'm calling the pediatrician and we're taking the kids down there to get evaluated. And so we did hopped in the car, went down there, gave them a heads up. They met us right at the front. Like, yeah, I mean, when you call and you're saying this could have happened, right. You know, they're, they're waiting for you. So they took us back to the room. They looked at each of the boys and they said, no, we don't, you know, we don't really see any things that are, that alarm us, but you know, and I said, well, I just don't understand, you know, and I said, I, I, I feel like they were drugged. And so that nurse just looked at me and she said, well, if you feel they were drugged, then I would just go get a urine sample done at the lab. So of course I'm like, let's go, you know. And what made you think that they were drugged aside from obviously everything that's going on, but were there symptoms of feeling like they were drugged or you just thought because they had something behind their back that that was yeah. them drugging them? Oh, okay. I, I thought because I you know, they were secretive with whatever was behind their back. And then because they both had these horrible diaper rashes, then all of a sudden, and they were crying, I thought something was in their system. Yeah. And so, um, 
So then we go to the lab, get them, you know, I think it was my two-year-old typically, um, how we got a two-year-old to pee in a cup demand <laughs> is beyond me. Yeah, that's it like the God most or something. Part. <laughs> God helped us out in that situation because <laughs> he must have known I needed that, you know, yeah. just as like proof. And so, of course, you know, everything was fine. There was no drugs in their system. So we left and we came home. And then it's like, I'm just trying to figure this out all out in my head. Like, I mean, something's going on, but nothing is coming of this. So we get home and I, I start feeling like I'm in a fog. I'm sweaty, hot, confused. And I remember Jesse's just, you know, and I was angry too, because I just felt like something's not right. Mm-hmm. I remember my best friend, Leslie, called me. And I don't know, I can't remember if my husband called her just to, you know, let her know and um, maybe have her check on me. But she had called me and I remember it being the most confusing conversation. And she was asking me what happened. And I told her and she said, well, what do you think you should do? And I said, well, I just feel horrible. I feel like I was drugged now, you know? And she was like, well, what do you think you should do? And I said, I think I should call 911. Mm -hmm. And so called 911. The paramedics show up, police, I mean, everybody. And the, I remember the guy coming in, one of the EMTs or a firefighter, I don't know who he was, but he asked me, you know, what do you think happened? And I told him. So of course they, you know, checked me, took all my, you know, my blood pressure, everything. And I had to basically consent that I wanted to go to the hospital. So oh, okay. I, I said, yeah, I do. I mean, something's wrong, you know? And so they put me on a stretcher. I get in. How is Jesse responding to this at this point? Is he like panicking? That's like a Uh, lot to take in (laughs) a short amount of time. I mean, I'm not laughing at it. I just can't even like fathom what he's feeling. Like my husband would be losing it. Oh, I'm sure he was, but I, I don't, I can't remember any of that. You know, I wasn't even paying attention to him. Yeah. Um, I was like, you know, mama bear about my kids. And then, you know, then I'm thinking I got drugged. So I don't even, I don't know if he was like just managing the kids at that point. Yeah. If he, because I think, I think that's, you know, I'm sure he probably tried to take them maybe into a different room or something. Cause everybody coming into the house, you know, he didn't want to scare them, but so I hop in the ambulance and I'll never forget driving to the hospital. We've got one pretty close to our house. And I was just looking out the back windows and all I could hear was just this chatter, like just this jumbled mess that these paramedics were asking me questions and it wasn't making sense. And I was just confused. And I thought I remember seeing like out of the windows, like seeing like a barricade set up Mm. and seeing my family's car, like being stuck at it. And in my mind, I thought, good, they caught him. Mm. Right. And so, so looking back, do you yeah. think those were hallucinations? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of, I think a lot of this was hallucinating, you okay. know, even, even from me, maybe seeing those family members hiding things behind their back. I don't even know if they did, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. And so there's so many unknowns that I'll never know, but it's just, um, 
one of those things that's just a strange chemical imbalance in my brain that was happening. So, um, I get to the hospital and I remember this lady sitting down with me asking a lot of questions. I had no idea who she was come to find out later. She was a social worker, but you know, they were just trying to figure out what happened to me. You know, obviously the drug test came back negative. Mm -hmm. They took me in for a CT scan. Everything was fine. Everything was fine. So my husband gets there eventually. And at that point, I think was when it really caught up to him and he started to get emotional about all of this. Mm -hmm. And I I mean, I can't even imagine thinking like my wife is in in the hospital and we don't know what's going on, you know? Yeah. And so after a while, he came crying to me with his phone and he just showed me a list of like symptoms it said postpartum psychosis and it just listed symptoms. Yeah. And he said, Lens, I, I think this is what you have. And I looked at it and it's like, you know, feeling like you've got it all figured out. You're on top of the world. Everybody's out to get you all these things. And thankfully in that moment, I could realize that that's how I felt. Mm -hmm. So I said, I agreed. And I said, yeah. And he said, I need you. He basically said, I need you to say that this is what you have. And I was like, I was still hesitant because I was still, even though I felt like that, I still thought things were happening. Yeah. And so it was confusing. Um, The other thing that started happening in the hospital was I started hearing voices of principals from high school, friends, parents, I started seeing like kids walking in front of my little triage pod. I'll never forget. I I saw a cute little girl in a beautiful white dress. And again, I don't know if this was a hallucination (laughs) or if it happened, but I just felt like God was there, Mm -hmm. you know, or that was an angel in my mind. And so, um, and you, you were a Christian at this time, right? Yes, I was absolutely. And But this all snowballed into thinking that this was all, you know, here, here comes another plot in my mind of thinking this is like a sex trafficking bust, right? Okay. In the hospital that you're at at that time. Yeah. Okay. And so I'm thinking all these voices, all these kids I'm seeing, they're in here getting checked out. Um, all these people that I'm hearing, they might be involved, like some of my family's involved. And so I just started thinking like the craziest things that there was basically like a big tent set up outside the, the hospital that people were coming to. And I mean, it was like, my thoughts would just not stop. So, and looking back on it, that was the paranoia. And so once I had said, yes, this is possibly what it is, you know, psychosis. My poor mom, <laughs> she, she flew in. She was living in, in Washington at this point. She flew in that day. And I'll never forget, I, I saw her walk in. And of course, immediately I'm like, how'd you get here? How'd you get here so fast? There's no way. You must have like some secret house here that I don't know about. <laughs> I mean, you roll your eyes, but like, it was so real to you. It was so real. And in the hospital, and you might be getting to this, but I thought this was interesting. Wasn't there a a portion with the nurse and your husband 
that you were feeling concerned about? Oh yeah. So my husband works in the medical field. And so, and he's at this hospital occasionally too, um, in surgeries. And so one of the nurses came by and Jesse me, he goes, Oh, you know, I know this nurse, Lindsay, I worked with her. She's so nice. I just want you to meet her. And so I did. Mm -hmm. And she was, she was just the sweetest thing. And then she goes, let me show you a picture of my son. And I was like, okay, you know, and of course she's just trying to make me feel better because even the nurses didn't know, even the nurses were looking at me like how sad. Because they probably don't deal with this or experience it often. Did they say that? Did they tell you that they've never really seen that before? Not to me. No. Um, You know, I think at that point they were probably just letting me talk Mm -hmm. and knowing that I was knowing that what I was saying I felt like was true. Yeah. But anyway, she shows me this picture of her son and I thought it looked exactly like my husband Mm -hmm. and I'm looking at it like, Oh, so now my husband had an affair and has this child that I don't know about. And did you tell them that? Did you tell them that you thought that or that those were thoughts inside your head? I told, so I didn't tell any, I didn't say anything to the nurse, but I remember saying to Jesse, like, like just being very like giving him the cold shoulder Mm -hmm. or just being like, wow, he, he sure looks like you. And you know, he's probably thinking, what are you talking about? You know? (laughs) (laughs) So at this point, a lot more family had come in to visit and, and I got moved upstairs. I was there for five days and, um, they, I just remember thinking that hospital was like, you know, they had cameras everywhere. They were checking in, checking out people, everybody. Again, I kept thinking that there was some big plot going on. And so I would watch my, my family, I'd watch them like leave the parking lot to just make sure that they were going where I thought they were going. And so I didn't, I didn't trust anybody at this point. Yeah. And, um, How scary for you to feel like all of this is happening and there's not one person that you can go to about it. Yeah, not at all. I, it was so hard because a lot of it was internalized Yeah, and I didn't want to let everybody know that I knew that all the knew. secrets. Yeah. Yeah. I remember my doctor, my OBGYN came to visit me cause my, my husband called him and said, cause I had had my six week checkup with him and I remember going into him and you know, everything was great. I was on my high. Oh my gosh. You know, thank you for everything. Thank you for, you know, all that you've done for me. I mean, it was in his mind, it's like, oh wow, she's doing great. You know, and then boom, right up. It's so interesting that you say that. And I don't think that I had this at all, but in comparison to Sutton, when I had so much anxiety, I felt very similar in that way with Saxon. Like, everything was perfect and I couldn't stop smiling. And I was so just like exuberant and joyful. And everyone, my husband was like, why is this so, so different? So it's just interesting to hear that because I like, I was 1000% on top of the world with Saxon and then with Sutton, it was just like the hardest thing. So anyway, that's just an interesting thing. Yeah, (laughs) no, it's, it's so true. It's, you know, and I just, it's weird how your body and your mind can work like that, you know? 
And obviously, like I mentioned earlier, it's definitely got to do with a chemical imbalance. And I, I remember thinking too, was all this because of the progesterone shots that I took? Was my body just overwhelmed with all these extra hormones? Mm -hmm. But, and I'll get to that in a minute because they kept calling it a perfect storm. Mm -hmm. And I never understood what they meant, even though in my mind, I thought, yeah, it is a perfect storm because all these horrible people are going to be caught, mm-hmm. right? So I thought it was a, a whole different meaning. So anyways, I was there. Obviously, when my doctor came to visit, he was so confused. He goes, Lindsay, I just saw you. What happened? And I'm looking at him like, I have no idea. I'm totally <laughs> <You know>? fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> talking about? So I come to find out they were waiting to have a bed open up at basically a behavioral health center or a psychiatric hospital in order to see a psychiatrist. This is what my husband told me in order to see a psychiatrist faster. I needed to have time at one of these places. And so I didn't know this at that time though. So all I know was they were waiting for a bed to, to open up at a different hospital. One day they came in, they said, we have a bed It's in Chandler. And so I was like, well, great. You know, in my mind, I'm thinking it's just another hospital. So I get everything ready. They put me in another ambulance and I drive all the way from Scottsdale in an ambulance to Chandler. It was so confusing and blurry and I was scared. And I just remember just taking a nap, just sleeping, you know, and I was exhausted. My mind was just working overtime. And so um, when I got there, I remember checking it at the front desk and feeling like, wait, this isn't a normal hospital. (laughs) They lied to me again. (laughs) All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to part one of Lindsay's interview about postpartum psychosis. Tune in next Monday to listen to part two, where she discusses the moment that she thought that she was Jesus and why that tied into a drug lord and how she came out of postpartum psychosis and what her family has done since that point, what she has learned, how she's healing and so forth. So make sure to tune in. If you're not already subscribed, just click the subscribe button on Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, wherever you're listening, and you'll be notified on Mondays when we have a new episode launching. Thank you all so much for listening in. I'm so thankful to have you and I'll talk to you next time. Bye guys. If you enjoyed this episode, the best thank you you could ever offer is to share the love. The simple act of taking a quick screenshot of the episode and tagging at living easy podcast makes such a huge difference in this journey. If you're impacted, someone else might be too. So don't hesitate to share a little hope and joy with the people that you love. Also, if you haven't already, please do scroll down from this episode to give a star rating and quick review for the podcast. It only takes a minute, but the impact is huge. Thank you all so much for your support. Feel free to connect with me on Instagram at livingeasypodcast and at lindsay.maestas. Love you guys.